This is Justin, author of the Keep on the Borderlands webcomic. You are listening to Tale of the Manticore. The following podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Tale of the Manticore, Season 2. Like the creature from which it takes its name, Tale of the Manticore is a mashup, a crossbreeding between two different species of storytelling. Here, you will find the unpredictability of old-school RPG paper and dice games with the storycraft of a dark fantasy novel. No character is sacred, and no character will be spared if the dice decide their fate is at hand. According to lore, the tail of a manticore is barbed with cruel iron spikes. There will be much pain in the days ahead. Last time on Tale of the Manticore. The previous chapter quickly ends the stalemate between Suro and his bodyguards and the surviving church guild members. In the aftermath of Danelon's reckless and unsuccessful sacrifice, Yellowfly launches an attack, but the combat phase doesn't last long. In fact, it never even reaches a single round of melee. Right away, Sir of the Mad flees, using his spell of Fly to get away and abandoning his bodyguards. Those two men do not need to think twice. After loosing a volley of arrows and scoring two misses, they dash into the woods, hoping to outrun the Vengeance-hungry church members. They do manage to get away, mostly thanks to a head start taken while the PCs give a draft of their healing potion to Jace, who is near death. When Jace is back on his feet, the companions take up the pursuit, but with the sun quickly setting, they simply cannot catch up, and have all but given up when they hear the sounds of distress from further on into the woods. They soon discover that the two bodyguards have fallen into a pit trap. Leaving the question of who built it aside for the moment, the companions are forced to wait through a difficult night in the frozen woods. When dawn arrives, nothing unpleasant has found them, and they are free to deal with the two unfortunate bodyguards, one of whom has died from the fall. As they have no rope, Shawnee must use her rogue's skill to lower herself into the pit. Once safely at the bottom, she finds that one of the weeping eyes is still alive, and he wants to talk. Chapter 30 Part 1 Day 108 Morning Party status. Yellowfly, 14 of 26 hit points. Cole, 18 of 18. Shawnee, 16 of 16. Catsbane, 8 of 8. Spells available. There are no spells available. <laughs> Save me, and I'll tell you anything you want to know. The man croaked. Shawnee could see that one of his legs was badly broken. It would be almost impossible to get him out of the pit in this condition, even if they had a rope, which they didn't, and if she had a mind to, which she also didn't. Some snow had accumulated at the bottom of the pit, and it covered a number of bones. The bodyguards had fallen into the trap, but it hadn't been concealed when they did. If they'd been moving about in the light, they would have easily seen and avoided it. It was the darkness of night that had killed them. Shawnee scooped up a bit of snow and gave it to the man to eat. He accepted it greedily, but by the way he lifted his neck, it was clear that he couldn't move very well. Perhaps his back had broken in the fall, too. We have a healing potion, she said. This was true. We'd consider sharing it if you have something worth hearing. This was untrue. 
Shauna had already decided that this man would never leave the spot. <coughs> I do. I do. <coughs> I know a lot. <coughs> the man coughed again. I'm listening. Our leader's name is Ceronion. <coughs> we call him Sir the Mod. Shawnee just looked at the man with her lips pursed. That wasn't going to be enough, her expression said. <coughs> He's a warlock. Speaks with devils. You saw what he can do. More coughing. More blood. You better tell me something I can use before you die on me, cautioned Shawnee. Who leads the weeping eyes? The man's face contorted, either in pain or because he didn't know the answer and feared he might die because of it. No one knows. Someone knows. Shawnee gave him a bit more snow to eat, and a look of some minor relief came over him as it turned to water on his lips. Who betrayed us? Someone from the wind of the cliffs. The man nodded. Give me a name. He gave her one. She nodded back, picked up a big handful of snow, and, pinching his nose shut with her left hand, stuffed his mouth with the other. She held him like that until he stopped his feeble bucking. Then, systematically, she started going through his clothes. I wonder if Shawnee will find anything of value on either of the two dead Weeping Eye bodyguards. Certainly, they each have a bow, but would they have broken in the fall? Probably not. I'll say there's an 80% chance she can get a usable one, and D20 arrows. Let's see. Zero four. Oh, I'd say they're both unbroken and of good quality. She takes the pair. How about arrows? Hmm, just three. I think one of the bodyguards dropped his quiver or accidentally dumped its contents in the flight. The other kept his, but landed on it when he fell into the pit ruining all but three of the arrows. Let's see, what else would they carry? A pair of long swords, to be sure. One usable set of chainmail and one ruined. Also, d20 gold pieces and d20 silver. I've got a three and a 17. Well, that's pretty unspectacular. But Shawnee doesn't care about money right now. She is looking for some very specific things. Food, water, and more than anything else, a flint. Chance of food and water is high, 75%. 95. Nope, they don't have any. I suppose the other lower-ranking men were carrying that kind of thing. Now for the most important role, a flint. What are the chances? 50-50? I'll go with that. Here's the role. 27. I think relief washes over Shawnee when she finds the sharp bit of rock in one of the belt pouches among the coins. More than anything else, they need to get a fire going. There's one last roll to make, and it's an important one. Shawnee will need to roll her climb wall skill once again. If she fails, she'll fall from the halfway mark, which is 10 feet. She'll have the good sense to kick over a few of the stakes before she makes the attempt, so they're no longer a threat. Her chance for a successful climb is 85%. The roll, a 70. A bit close for comfort, but a success all the same. Chapter 30, Part 2, Day 108, Morning, Party Status. The party status is unchanged. The wind was picking up and snow swept across the forest floor when Shawnee's face appeared at the pit's edge. A frosty gust blasted it and she sneezed violently before hauling herself up the rest of the way. Another breeze moved through the leafy canopy making it seem as though the trees themselves were applauding her skill. 
She threw the captured weapons on the ground at the feet of her companions, who had all come out to help her, but ended up simply watching as, one by one, they realized she was better off unaided and their efforts would only get in her way. Only that? Asked Cole through chattering teeth. Another vapor cloud wreathed his head as he spoke. Of all of them, he and Catsbane were suffering the most. Catsbane had not even been able to memorize his spells that morning. The cold and wind had made it impossible for him to concentrate. Well, teased Shawnee, fading disappointment. They also had a few coins on them. She paused for a beat, and then suddenly smiled and opened her gloved palm. Oh, and this. Thank Vasaluna, and bless you too, Shawnee, said Yellowfly. Let's find some dry wood and see if we can't build a fire. Cole looked doubtful. It's not going to be easy in this wind. One thing at a time, Cole, said Yellowfly encouragingly. Everyone spread out. Don't go too far. Keep a sharp eye out for other traps, or any other dangers for that matter. Come back in a half hour with whatever dry wood you can find. Don't be too picky. Only a few minutes had passed before Catsbane heard the signal. He had found precisely zero pieces of firewood. To be fair, he had no expertise in building fires, and furthermore, he could no longer feel his fingers or toes. In truth, he was becoming worried. He had seen the effects of frostbite before. The signal was to be used by Yellowfly when it was time to return, or by any of the rest of them if they found something important. In either case, they would all convene on the whistler. Given how little time had passed since they split up, Catsbane knew it must be the latter. He immediately gave up his fruitless search and moved in the direction of the sound, now gritting his teeth against the pain in his hands as he thrust them into his armpits. It didn't take long for him and the others to find Jace, who had given the signal, and it was easy to see why he had whistled. Their fellow guild member had come upon a fairly large cave opening, set into a rocky escarpment. It was almost big enough for a man to walk through upright. There were no signs of life on this side of the cave entrance, either human or animal. Perhaps our prayers have been answered, said Jace. He was now wearing one of the dead bodyguard's chain shirts, having discarded his leather jerkin for the superior armor. He also carried one of the bows and an arrow in his hands. Shawnee had the other, and, as she cautiously approached the cave mouth, she fit one of her two arrows to her bowstring. Cole, throw something in, she said. Nobody stopped to wonder if this was a wise move, so Cole obeyed. Packing a snowball together in his bare hands, he lobbed it into the cave's opening. Nothing happened. The companions took a few more tentative steps before Yellowfly held up a hand with his fingers split in a V. This meant for them to stop while he went on alone. Shawnee and Jace covered him as he crept forward and started sniffing the air by the opening and looking in the fallen snow. What's he doing? Asked Jace in a whisper. Looking for Spoor, some sign of animals living inside. Tracks or scent or bones, supplied Cole. Apparently, Yellowfly found no such sign, for he motioned for them to come, and they did, with Shawnee and Jace prudently hanging back to continue covering the companions with their bows. Yellowfly led them a short distance into the cave. The passage was quite wide, with plenty of room for them to walk in single file without touching the sides. It sloped downward for a few feet before rising a bit and leveling off. Here, Yellowfly stopped. It was getting too dark to see, and besides, he had what he wanted. A flat surface that was dry and out of the wind. This will do for a start, said Yellowfly. Give me your kindling. He had already taken the flint from Shawnee, and as Cole handed over a bunch of branches, Yellowfly knelt and arranged them into a little pyramid shape. 
Shauna had also cut a few strips of shredded cloth from the dead bodyguard's tunic in anticipation of their usefulness, and these Yellowfly used as tinder to catch a spark as he struck his steel-bladed dagger with the flint. The sound echoed through the caverns beyond, making it seem like they must continue in quite some ways. More wood, said Yellowfly. A little spark had caught and turned into an ember. He knelt over it, partially cupping his hands and blowing gently, trying to get it to ignite. A few seconds later, it did, and there was a small flame. Jace handed him the sticks he had collected, and Yellowfly looked at him with an expression of incredulity. Greenwood, do you not know the difference between dead wood and living? Have you got rocks in your head, Greenwood? Truly. When I said don't be picky, I didn't mean that. I suppose you've never had to spend a night out of doors. Chastened, Jace shook his head. My father was an ironmonger in the city, he said by way of explanation. I only ever knew the inside of a smithy before Coffrey and his iron tacks drove us out of business. Shawnee nodded to herself, remembering the year of the king's tax on iron and how it had ruined more than a few livelihoods. She had some dry wood collected and handed it to Fly, who had managed to get a little fire going by now. Oh, thanks, Shawnee, he said, taking the sticks without looking up. All right, everyone come by and take a turn by the fire. Do not let it go out. Jace, you go first. When your hands are warm, I'm going to take you out and show you how to find good firewood. Are you ready for a journey into the unknown recesses of what lies beyond your perception? Where's my fucking aunt? I never even got to meet up with her that night. How did you find the blood then? Will you heed the call? Of Cthulhu. That's not true. Cthulhu is sleeping. We are that Cthulhu John, a real play 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast. I'm a Navy gravy baby. <laughs> Join us for mystery and the mind bending atrocities of the uncaring cosmic mythos. Stuffs that thing in there, kicks the body in the face, makes sure it trunk closes. <laughs> <laughs> Try to keep your bearings if you must, but sanity is overrated. <laughs> Today Cole reaches level 4. In tribute to a certain grimdark and punishingly hard video game, I've decided to save his level up till the PCs are sitting in front of a campfire. Well, this might not be a real campfire, it's a little small for that, but it'll do. Level 4 is a big one for fighters in BX, because this is where they finally get a 2-hit bonus in addition to the other usual advancements. It's a plus 2 bonus, so it's a substantial change. Cole will also get a D8 of new hit points, with the roll minning out at a 4. Here goes. Haha, <laughs> an 8! I was not expecting that. What a fabulous roll. This brings Cole up to 26. Now he can really take a few hits. And with his new battle axe, he'll be dealing more damage too. I wonder if this good luck will continue as we do his rolls for possible stat increases. Let's find out. Strength. He already has a 16 in the stat. Ah, I've got a 5. Intelligence. Another 5. Wisdom. A 1. How about dexterity? I've got a 4. Constitution. Another 4. Charisma. Last chance. And you know, with that awesome roll for new hit points, I don't even care if he doesn't get any stat bonuses. Still, I wouldn't say no. I've got a five. Hey, he rolled well when it counted, and that's enough for me. 
I think that by now the companions will have a decent fire going and will be ready to consider exploring the cave. Let's get back to the narrative and see what they find. Chapter 30, Part 3, Day 108, Late Morning, Party Status. The party status is unchanged. Yellowfly and Jace returned about an hour later, each with a small armload of dry wood. On their way back to the cave opening, Yellowfly's boot came within inches of a human skull, half buried in the snow. If it hadn't been winter and its whiteness hadn't made it invisible, Yellowfly would surely have seen it. It and the three other skeletons, two human and one goblin, all of which were only a short distance away from the cave mouth. Oh good, you're back, said Cole upon their return. The fire is almost out. Here, said Yellowfly, awkwardly pulling a thick branch from his bundle and handing it to him. Light this and let's go further in. Are you sure we should do that? Maybe we should try to use the daylight and get to Brannon. Did we just get this wood from nothing? No, let's stay put and get warm. Jace has discovered a good spot for us to spend at least a few hours. It's not far to Brannon, so we can still get there if we leave by late afternoon. Come, are you not cold? I am. Yeah, me too, said Jace. He was shivering. Despite the small fire, Cole had not yet warmed up much either. The prospect of a real campfire was too attractive for him to offer up any resistance. All right, he said. Accepting the branch from Yellowfly, he stuck one end into their dying flame. He rotated it as though he were grilling a fish until it caught well. Lifting the brand up, he said, let's see how far in this goes. The Nepilic led the way in, carrying his makeshift torch in one hand and his ax loosely in the other. His companions followed in single file, Shawnee, Jace, Catsbane, and finally Yellowfly in the rear. As it was too confined a space for bows, Shawnee and Jace had shouldered theirs and had swords in hand. A rocky corridor wound a twisting path into the earth, sloping down and left, then leveling off, making a sharp right and sloping down again until it opened into a natural cavern. It must have been a few degrees warmer down here than on the surface, for they could hear the sounds of dripping water. They emerged into an egg-shaped space, roughly 30 feet long and 20 wide. There was a mixture of smells here. The fresh, natural smells of the underground were present, also something faintly fungal and unfamiliar. The chamber contained numerous signs of human occupation. There were moldering bedrolls, earthenware jugs, a small sealed cask, a small wooden chest, a forester's axe, a stack of split firewood, and cooking implements scattered haphazardly around the remains of a campfire. The campfire looked like it had been used many times, but not recently. It had been built with care. Two dozen fist-sized stones formed a ring, with a kettle suspended over it by a bale hanging from a makeshift spit. The companions were now on high alert. They fanned out, lifting their weapons. There were two exits here in addition to the way they had come in. Cole moved to guard one. Yellowfly moved to cover the second, while the others took in the full contents of the room. They organized themselves this way in silence led only by Yellowfly's improvised, but simple, hand signals. After a few moments of this inspection, Shawnee tapped her ear and cocked her head, indicating that everyone should be silent while she put her acute hearing to work. As a rogue, Shawnee has a better than average chance to hear noise if there's anything nearby to be heard. She'll need to roll a one to three on a d6 to succeed. Rolling. A three.
In the span of silence, all they could hear was the low moaning of air moving through the caves and the drip of water from further in. Nothing, she whispered. Her face had an expression of dissatisfaction, however. I thought... I guess I imagined it. Chapter 30 Part 4 Day 108 Late Morning Carrick had been walking through these darkened corridors for days, lighting his way with the tip of his staff upon what she had cast a simple dwimmer so that it glowed with a soft green luminescence. He had been underground so long that he had no idea if it was morning or night, and in fact was unsure of when he had last slept. It might have been hours ago, or days. However long it had been, he had seen much, marvels to rival the strangest and most terrifying experiences of his whole life. There were horrors down here, things of nightmare so deep under the walls and towers of Whitestone Castle, but they had not interfered with him. As Carrick approached, they withdrew like shadows against his light. Now, finally, he had reached his destination. Unlike so many of the strange and grotesque things he had seen along the way, this final chamber, this inner sanctum, was a simple square of dark and ancient stone with a single feature. A stone sarcophagus, perhaps ten feet long and five feet wide, lay in the very center of the chamber. Its lid was heavily stylized. Some sculptor, by dint of what must have been an extreme physical labor, or else by supernatural means, had carved a reclining body in the lid. Only half of the form was shown, with the back of the head and body appearing to sink into the stone. The figure was not fully human. The face was skull-like, but not a skull. Similarly, vertebrae could be seen in the figure's neck before it plunged under the cover of stone vestments. The hands featured fingers that were too long and were tipped with claw-like nails. These rested gently across the figure's abdomen. Above them, on the chest, was a disc of copper. It caught the light of Carrick's staff as he approached, in a way that made it seem as though an emerald flame leapt across its surface. Carrick knew what it was. He understood the dangers of what might happen if he were to remove it from the lid, but he had not come all this way to turn back from his ultimate reward. He spent a full three hours casting abjurations upon himself. Every spell he knew, charms to ward against unclean spirits, demons, and extraplanar creatures. He drew a ring around his feet in crushed salt, gripped a lump of cold iron in his fist, and dabbed his tongue with a mixture of crushed ruby and ash. Even thus protected, and with magical energies now swirling about his form, he hesitated. Then he mastered his fear, reached out, and grasped the red gold symbol of Sadal. He held it aloft, and the jewels on the reverse side sparkled in a little symphony of light. Then the lid began to open on its own, rotating counterclockwise on an invisible fulcrum, and revealing the thing inside. Thank you for listening to Tale of the Manticore. If you've enjoyed the show and would like to help out, there are a bunch of ways to do so. You can recommend it online or to friends. You can like and retweet episode announcements on Twitter. You can pick up One Shot in the Dark, the Pendulum World Building Tool, or Encyclopedia Manticorica on DriveThruRPG. And finally, you can rate or review the show on your podcatcher of choice. My thanks to everyone who has supported the show. 
I'd like to take a moment to read one of your kind reviews right now. This one was posted on the Podcast Addict app by Monank, or perhaps it's Monank, I'm not sure, M-A-U-N-A-N-K. Monank writes, Fantastic podcast. As a fan of audio drama, the storytelling and narration here are superb. We're new to RPGs, and this has stimulated our interest. It's been a great way to bond with my son as we listen together and eagerly await new episodes. We've become very invested in the characters, and the randomness of each roll of the dice adds to the drama. The execution is perfect. Thanks. And thank you very much for that great review. I love all reviews, but whenever I hear a story about someone listening to the show with their kids, well, that is a special kind of joy and a very special kind of honor. Thanks for sharing that with me. Oh, and by the way, RPGs are the best hobby in the world. You should get into them. I'd like to take a moment now to thank my excellent cast. There are two voices on this episode, and both are returning actors. Playing the Weeping Eye bodyguard is Ernest Klontz, and in the role of Jace is Kevin Berenger. Kevin is an actor, writer, artist, storyteller, and game designer at Tumbledye Games. Find him online at kbearcreation.com. Thanks, Kevin and Ernest, for making the show so much better through your talents. If listeners want to get in touch with me, I'm at Manticore Tale on Twitter or Tale of the Manticore Podcast on Instagram. And of course, there's email, taleofthemanticore at gmail.com. Finally, I keep a blog where I post all kinds of show and RPG-related stuff, like art, maps, tables, crafts, and show notes. You can find it at taleofthemanticore.blogspot.com. The adventure will continue on the next episode of Tale of the Manticore, the story where chaos rolls. The good friends of Jackson Elias are Scott Dawood, Paul Fricker, and Matthew Sanderson. And together, they talk on their podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and weird fiction, as well as other horror role-playing games. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts, or head over to blasphemoustomes.com. Blasphemous Tomes.